from the world famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Sean Kelly, producer Dan, D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra, yeah. and the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? We're back at it. And this is the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. And greetings again from the Greenbrier in West Virginia, where Saints training camp continues. It's also game week as the Saints will prepare for the St. Louis Rams and preseason game number one on Friday. So there's a lot to talk about. And it's good to be back with you on this Monday with John DeShazer. I'm Sean Kelly. And uh, we're fresh off of the black and gold scrimmage on Saturday. The team's had some time off. And uh, it's all back at it later on today here at the practice fields. Yeah, much like the team, I think we got our legs back under us after a weekend of a couple of days off. So, yeah, they'll get back at it. Uh, pads today on field number two, and it'll be interesting to see what the intensity level will be considering they have a game on Friday. You would think they dial back some, but I thought they were going to dial back some last week, and it never happened. So you would think they'll dial back a little bit um, today. But, again, these guys will be fresh, and they'll have their legs under them, and they'll be hopping around. So we'll see what happens. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Saturday's scrimmage on the Black and Blue Report today. We'll do so namely with NFL Network Analyst Brian Baldinger and NFL Referee Gene Steratore is a very special guest with us today. We'll also have some basketball talk a little bit later between Daniel Salerson and Jim Eichenhofer. That scrimmage on Saturday, I, you know, I can't help but feel good about the way the Saints look on Saturday morning. Yeah, you saw a lot of good, um, you know, a, a decent amount of individuals stood out. And, I mean, if, if you don't like Brandon Cooks, I don't know what you can like. I mean, the kid seems to have everything you could possibly need. Now, he's not, not the biggest guy in the world, you know, maybe 5'10 and 189, but he can run all the routes. And he isn't just, you know, straight line fast or just track fast. He's football fast. He's, he's functional fast in his pads. And he's a guy who's got moves uh, – you know, it was, it was always going to be interesting to see what he could do once he got here with the big boys, so to speak. And uh, he's got wiggle. He's got a lot of assets that the Saints can use. Drew Brees did not participate. I had some fans hit me on Twitter and a few other places that they were disappointed or concerned or whatever. I guess it really didn't bother me a whole lot. You know, you want him to be 100%, but I guess perspective here, J.D. Yeah, the objective is to get to the regular season with the starters and primary backups healthy. Uh, if Drew Brees sitting out with a strained oblique is the price you pay in the black and gold scrimmage when he probably wasn't going to do a whole lot anyway, then pay that price. Let Luke McCown and, and RG4, Ryan Griffin, get those snaps and let them work out some with the number one offense because, you know, on the off chance they have to actually work with that unit during the season. But we know what Drew Brees can do. I don't know what he's going to offer in a black and gold scrimmage that we haven't seen him do before. He has proven himself there's no need to risk him right now. And it wouldn't even bother me if he was limited this week and didn't even play against the Rams on Friday. Look, I would be shocked if he does anything, if, if he can play, if he plays more than the first series and he hands off a couple times and maybe throws a screen or something. But I don't think they're going to put him to the hazard, especially if he hadn't worked a whole lot last week. If he doesn't practice today, and that's yet to be seen. But, yeah, it wouldn't bother me at all if he's held out of the first preseason game. It'll be about 48 hours or so since the last time the Saints took the practice field when they do so later on today at 4 Eastern time here in West Virginia. John, you mentioned fresh legs and whatnot. Will we see 
Will we see a little different feel or, or uh, look to practice here on this Monday, or will they just pick up where they've left off? Now, I think Coach, uh, Coach Payton mentioned that they were going to do some more red zone work, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them go at it a little bit more in terms of red zone preparation and, and those kinds of things today. Uh, you know, it's only going to be about an hour and a half, hour 40-minute practice, so I don't know how much you can squeeze in anyway, but I think red zone will be the emphasis. Rain should be uh, not a problem in the next couple of days, at least according to the forecast, and it will be warmer this week. Again, by New Orleans standards, not even close to what they'd be doing in Metairie right now, but it will be warmer this week as they'll practice, as we mentioned, later today. Full schedule Tuesday and Wednesday. Travel day is Thursday. And then uh, Saints-Rams in St. Louis on Friday night. All right, basketball talk still to come with Daniel and Jim. Brian Baldinger from the NFL Network. And up next, Gene Steratore, one of the more respected and veteran NFL referees. is our special guest here on the Black and Blue Report. There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. Lotto is all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. From the neon lights of Shreveport, Bossier City to the banks of Grand Isle, Lotto is your game. It doesn't leave the state and there's nothing like it anywhere else. It's Louisiana fun just for Louisiana. Lotto, it's a whole lot of cash. Must be at least 21 to purchase. three days of practice, the New Orleans Saints have had special guests in their camp. A group of NFL officials have spent time with the Saints on the practice field and in meeting rooms, and that includes Saturday's black and gold scrimmage. Gene Steratore, veteran and very respected NFL official, was the referee of this crew. I had a chance to sit down with him after Saturday's black and gold scrimmage. Gene, I literally just got you off the football field. Uh, first of all, it's been great to have you and your crew here for the last couple of days. Uh, but today, you know, watching more what we know as football, a scrimmage, how does that help you all as, as, as far as your August preparations go? Now, first of all, we'd like to thank Mr. Benson and the entire Saints organization. This has been just a fantastic three days for us. The atmosphere was wonderful, and they've been fantastic. Uh, for today, th this started to give us the sense of uh, what we're about to in, you know, undertake here in the next week and for the next 20 weeks, and maybe, so, maybe more than that. But uh, I thought it was fantastic. The tempo was great. The players really worked hard today, and, and it was really good for us to get into that moment you know, again. As a broadcaster, I need a scrimmage. I almost need almost two preseason games to get my eyes back up to game speed. Is that the same with you all as well? Exactly. Yeah, just the tempo elements and then some of the little nuances that in a practice that's actually being dictated by the coaches, you don't want to interject because you're kind of there as an aiding factor. But when we get to the scrimmage, it becomes kind of your game and your tempo again. So exactly what you said. And some of the new rules, uh, we had three or four quarterback sacks today, not stopping the clock when the quarterback was sacked. Mm -hmm. Another thing that by habit after the last decade, you know, you've been stopping. So it's great to get into that moment in the game type situations again. Let's 
let's talk about some of those. Uh, the quarterback sack thing, that's outside of two minutes left in a, in a period. Is that correct? Well, in the, in, in the previous rules, in the, in, the, in the years past, we stopped the clock outside of two minutes always, but inside of two minutes we didn't because it would be actually be giving the offense somewhat of an advantage of saving clock time to have a sack. So we always wound the clock inside okay. of two minutes. So now the entire game actually is being treated as it would be inside of two minutes with relation to the quarterback and okay. the sacks. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Other correctables that had to happen, and I'm sure some of this has to do with now the, the um, defensive back wide receiver contact situation we're talking about. Can you help, I guess, take us the next step and what we'll see this season and how close are the guys to making that adjustment? Um, you know, I, we didn't have a lot of illegal contacts and defensive holds that weren't real subtle defensive holds that, that would be called or from what our videos have shown that, uh, that they weren't called. Um, you know, my, my, my hope is that the players do adjust and they're so wonderful at what they do that uh, maybe there's a, a, an inordinate amount or a little higher percentage in the first couple of weeks where, where we're all kind of trying to feel out players and officials that are you going to call that at five and a half or at six yards and now the flags come in the first couple of weeks of preseason one thing I found out about NFL players and teams once they know what the officials are going to do and we do it consistently they make the adjustment and then uh, the hope is again that we stay out of the picture and they play football within the rules that uh, that we've been asked to dictate as far as and if you wanted to combine points of emphasis and or new rules in your eyes, which ones will have the greatest impact on games now? I think the illegal contact and the things that affect the passing. You know, also everyone is kind of is focusing on that because it's the defensive side again. And I think over the last 10 years, you know, that's kind of the undertone is we keep punishing the defense. They want more points. They want more offense. Um, but there is also a little emphasis on that offensive receiver with the pushing off or the little subtle push before the ball gets there. So uh, I think that element will probably be the one that, that they see most. Uh, the roll-up block on the interior line may not be something that the, that the general public views or sees much, uh, but as an official, uh, that's one we're definitely looking at because it has such a safety issue to it. The conspiracy theorists won't like me to say this either, but you know it was, it was interesting this morning in our meeting, the pointing out of that a, a defenseless player is not necessarily just an offensive player, at least as way you all might call it now. Right, exactly. Um, when you're in a defensive, a defenseless posture, uh, and sometimes that may mean you are a defensive player that's in a position to, uh, you know, to be covering a certain area or something like that, and now you get hit from the side with a helmet anywhere on your body or above the head and neck area. It is one that I think the public is always focusing on the defense making that hit. Um, but that's something again uh, that it's the safety element, and and both sides of the ball need protected equally. All right, I'm going to stick it right. The hard one is right now. Saints fans love Jimmy Graham, and they love when he dunks over the goalpost. We had a great moment on the practice field today. Sure enough, Jimmy got the chance on a score, and sure enough, he did dunk it. Uh, you all were quick to the trigger with the flags in a fun moment, but that is a new rule that we have to worry about. It was fun today. Yeah, today. <laughs> uh, it may not be fun, and as Mac, uh, the special teams coach, had uh, mentioned to me as we went by, you know, if you want to dunk there, Jimmy, that's fine, but I might have to put you on the kickoff team when we're kicking off from the 50 uh, or from the 20. Um, in, all, you know, in all seriousness with it, though, um, they are rules that we have to implement, and uh, and in that scenario, it is something that the crowd has looked for from Jimmy. And there are other players in the league that have, I guess, what we would call their signature type things. And as we have to close that gap on some of those in the props or, or however they define them, uh, 
yeah, we turn into the bad guys. So, but today we were the bad guy in a nice way. So I guess that was kind of fun. It was, it was, and it's something as we had talked about. You can only do here at camp. You couldn't even do that in a preseason game. But I guess, I guess, what does the league want us to know about that? That that type of action that maybe fans aren't aren't seeing deeper into. Uh, I think in relation to the goalpost, and I know there was a situation last year where the goalpost actually was adjusted, where it needed adjusted, so we had a delay in the time of the game. Um, that creates a definite element where it would have definitely popped up concern initially, uh, and I understand that. Um, and then you get into the element of... Uh, does, does an act that a player does in his celebration of a great play, it could be a sack, it could be, you know, but most of them are scoring plays. Does it provoke the opponent, which will lead to, you know, more underlying ill will feelings in the sportsmanship category? And uh, although I know that it looks harmless, that it's a dunk over the goalpost, um, you know, in, the, in a different scenario, it may be something that does provoke an opponent. So rather than start asking us to dissect two or three different elements to it, I think it's cleaner and easier to say, look, we just are going to take this out of the game at this point and, uh, and we have to you know, rule on it as such. I get to call games in both the NFL and the NBA, and I just got back two weeks ago from what we call ref camp with the NFL or the NBA officials in Las Vegas this time around. Um, and every year we go through all these things that we went through on the NFL today, just maybe on a bigger scale. But it seems to me or it's starting to become aware to me that as we layer more and more of these things on, I'm starting to wonder if the load is too much um, for you all to be able to to call a game even more. Yeah, you know, if, if in relation to the sportsmanships or well, things of that nature. Even or... even just the the idea of um, the new illegal contact rules, um, the downfield roll-up type stuff. Does it, you know does he have his head across? And do, are there are there enough eyeballs? with stripes on or in the NBA with gray shirts on that can actually see what the league is asking them to yeah. see. I really think, and, and I don't think the common fan understands maybe what the officials do, and, and that's probably a complimentary thing for officials because we don't project ourselves or, uh, or we, wanna, we don't want to be noticed in what we do. Um, but what I can assure you, and I actually have the opportunity to work basketball on a three-man in college, mm -hmm. so uh, the one thing that I can tell you in both sports uh, although there are seven officials and 22 players, our keys are limited to maybe two players or three players. So when the league does implement new situations, they only affect those people that are watching those specific players. Are the rules growing? Most definitely. Is the NFL rule book the biggest rule book? It's not one that you would want to have someone throw across the room at you. It's a pretty heavy book. Um, but with that said, uh, because of the other elements that have come into play and the, and you know, guys are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Uh, they've honed their craft even more so. And, and, and I guess the responsibility of officials is growing as well. So do they want us to be more technical and, and have the ability to notch our game up too? Yeah, and we accept that challenge. That's, uh, that's why we're at this level. Give me something that will help fans be better watchers of the game. I always ask, to, whether it be a coordinator or a player or a trainer or anybody else, Show, give them something that will say, this year I saw the game better or differently because maybe something you can give them. Yeah, you know, when, when I do get to sit with someone who's really interested in what officials do, and we talk about all the things that we are responsible for in a game, um, 
the common person has no idea of that. I mean, I don't think that people realize that there's 20 commercials to every game. So we try to get five in every quarter, but there's situations where we might not. And, uh, and if there's an injury or replay, we get an extra commercial. So there's 21 of them, little things like that. Um, I think if they would become more educated with the officials and their responsibilities, and I don't know where that information is, if it's available, but it might, uh, it might allow a fan to look and say, you know, that was the tight end. And he is the official in the middle of the field's responsibility uh, as opposed to, and maybe I'm saying that because I think what happens in the NFL is I get blamed for every foul. And there are fouls that I don't even see, but because I'm the one announcing them, I take the responsibility. So maybe what I'm telling you now is probably to get me off the hook a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Uh, But, you know, I I also know some fans who um, project themselves to be maybe more of an expert than they should be. They get down to almost, they'll see who the crew is and say, oh, well, here's, here's how this game's going to go today. Um, are there really that many? Are they, are they overreaching a little bit? Are there really that many differences between crews? I think so. You know, and, and what we strive for. You think for, that they're overreaching or that there is I a difference? I think they're overreaching. Okay. And I, I, can tell, I can say this, and, and, and I say this with a lot of pride. Uh, there are 17 crews in the NFL um, that have all been schooled in the same, same team. We're the same team. We're 17 crews. We go out to 17 different games or 15 different games, but it's the same team taught by the same, by the same coach. Uh, you want to think just like on any one team that my tight end can be, uh, my number two tight end is going to do what my number one tight end does. Um, so in our business, we feel like we're interchangeable parts. Um, is there tendencies maybe for one official to see something a little more detailed than another? I'm sure there is because there's a human element in it. And there's also some subjectiveness in what is too much and what isn't too much. The same is with players. Uh, so, but to categorize it, um, the thing that scares me is with the advent of this technology and the social media, you guys have more information on us than I would ever even imagine <laughs> to have known. So you probably do know that. And I'm sure that the team's scout the officiating and their tendencies and and maybe Steratore's crew doesn't call as many holds as another crew does uh, and I'm sure the statistics probably bear that out but my feeling would be if Steratore's crew didn't call that many holds then he just happened to be in games where they didn't hold as well, much you know yeah. so there are there's differences there so when you lean to statistics and I think that's with teams as well um, you also have to understand what their opponents were how the game played and then put all of those elements into it. And then my hope would be that, you know what, these guys are pretty consistent no matter where they are. So, <laughs> I'm hoping you'll answer the question. I don't know if you will or not, but surely there have got to be some favorite places for you to go and work games. Are there, are there particular cities, stadiums, or atmospheres that kind of rev you up a little bit you look forward to? This is going to really sound like a uh, you know, run-of-the-mill answer or the politically correct <laughs> uh-huh. one where they all are great. The truth of it is they all are great. Um, is the Superdome something that's a little different than Lambeau? Yeah. Is there something about being indoors there in Louisiana and and having that atmosphere and how they crank it up in there? Most definitely. Is there something special about Lambeau Field? Maybe even though most people would say that the middle of December in Lambeau isn't a, a, a great experience, yeah. it is. Um, Every one of them have their own little feeling uh, and niches. And then what I've seen now that I've been lucky enough to be around for over a decade is the newer stadiums. 
I mean, they were unbelievable. Uh, you know, I went from Three River Stadium to Heinz Field. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to be outdoor in Minnesota for two years, so we hope we get them maybe before Thanksgiving as opposed to before <laughs> Christmas uh, until they can get under the roof. But every one of them are unique, but every one of them are special at the same time. So uh, it, it's, it's just an excellent, excellent you know, feeling always, always. Speaking of being outdoors, like Chicago in December or whatever, um, does the NFL help you out as far as being able to layer up to be warm, or have you all come up with your own creative ways? No, the, the National Football League and, and then now with Nike, they definitely equip us with everything they can. I, I, they still haven't invented something to keep you know my fingers completely warm or my mouth so that I can make the announcements in the middle of Lambeau Field in January, okay? But no, overall, they do a very good job of keeping us as warm as they can. Well, you're one of our favorites, that's for sure. I know Coach was very appreciative to have you here this weekend, and uh, all the best health and uh, otherwise this season. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Steratore and his crew begin their preseason games, like the Saints, later on this week. When we come back to our coverage here from West Virginia on the Black and Blue Report, we'll sit down with NFL Network analyst Brian Baldinger. At the Auctioner Hospital for Children, no matter where you turn, you're surrounded by bravery. Children and teens dealing with health problems beyond their years. Parents working hard to keep the worry from their face. Doctors and nurses doing everything possible to get them back home where they belong. From rare brain tumors and leukemia to heart conditions and organ transplants, we offer a level of pediatric care unmatched in Louisiana with more advanced capabilities than any other children's hospital in the region. Even our kids-only ER can handle any pediatric emergency. In fact, the only thing tougher than the problems we see every day are the kids themselves. Choose the Auctioner Hospital for Children and never wonder if you could have done more. Call 866-AUCTIONER to find an affiliated pediatrician near you. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. It seems now that on an almost daily basis, members of the national media are stopping by the camp here at the Greenbrier to get their look at the New Orleans Saints. Brian Baldinger, analyst for the NFL Network, did so on Saturday. And I got a chance to watch a good portion of the black and gold scrimmage with Brian. Afterwards, we sat down for a visit. Brian, I'm anxious for your, uh, for your thoughts. Let's just start with that. Maybe just what were your first impressions after watching the scrimmage today? I thought it was very crisp, uh, very clean. Um, tempo was really, really good. Uh, they just look like they're seasoned, look like a, a veteran team out there. They know how to practice. Uh, you didn't see the fights and a lot of the tempers flaring, but I thought they got a lot of good work in. When, you, when you're able to pop in on a team like you did today, I know that you, you have a tremendous amount of background already in your head about personnel, schemes, and otherwise. Is it hard to pick up quickly on, on where a team might be at this point in camp? Yeah, because it's uh, it's very controlled. You know, it's not really, you know, the, the reactions that you get in a normal game. And so um, it's very, very, like I said, very controlled. However, um, there's always things that catch your eye, and there's a lot of things that caught my eye here today. As, as in personnel or as in things that they're working on? Uh, mostly personnel. Like uh, just, you know, I just have a great deal of respect for Keenan Lewis, but then to watch him work, watch him win every sprint at the end, watch him compete in every single drill, like, he looks like a guy that um, wants to be the best. That's how he practices. And uh, he obviously is very conditioned. And then to see, 
just the uh, the speed and the quickness of Brandon Cooks live. I mean, I watched him getting ready for the draft all year, watch what he did at Oregon State, but then just to see him out here compared to everybody else, um, he's, uh, he's he looks special. It is special to watch what he's done here, but you've you've played, you've you've analyzed this for so long. How long till you can safely say a guy is a hit like a Brandon Cooks? What what else needs to be seen other than the obvious, which would be 16 Sundays? Yeah, I mean that's the obvious. The obvious is you know to, to become a professional, you know, and uh, take care of yourself, prepare, you know, really understand your opponent, understand the playbook. I mean, all those things. That's just comes with time. Some guys. It's a faster maturation point. Some guys, it's slower. He looks like he, he does everything fast. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him um, to take much time before he be, really becomes uh, a week-in, week-out contributor to this team. Now they've got, obviously, Marcus Colson just walked by us and Jimmy Graham. They've got, you know, Kenny Stills will get back on the field and the running backs. I mean, there's all these, these people, but um, it'll be interesting. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to what Drew sees and what Sean wants, and how he fits into all that. Whether it's based upon what you saw today or other film work, how do you think the Saints will be different than they were a year ago? Well, I think they surprised the league last year with what they did defensively. In one year, what Rob Ryan did, I mean, I don't think anybody knew who Akeem Hicks was, was or if Junior Gallette could play at that level or Jordan Cameron would come on. I mean, all these things happened. Um, but they've got all the pieces in place. They, they like to play three safeties, and they've got a lot of competition at that position. Um, we didn't get a chance to see Jarris Bird out here today, but he's uh, he's a rare, instinctive guy at that position. I would say, you know, the, the you know the most important thing, and when they won a Super Bowl, I believe they led the league in takeaways that year. And so, I mean, anytime you can get extra at bats for Drew Brees and his offense, that can only be a good thing. So I would say that'd be a point of emphasis. There are a lot of folks who have come in here saying that the Saints are in the conversation with regard to being in that Final Four. You know that that the end of it, whether it be the NFC or otherwise, um, do you agree with that or do you see perhaps another another way this could all go as far as the power teams in the NFL? No, you have to put them in the conversation. Um, but, you know, I mean, Sean talked about it at the end of practice. You know, like um, you, can, you can be committed, you could play really hard, you could do a lot of things well, but if you don't play smart, um, it takes you out of the conversation. So second and 20, um, that's a tough situation to be in. You know, laying the ball on the ground, that's, uh, those are hard to overcome. And so those are the things you try to eliminate, you know, the turnovers, the negative plays, the things that really hurt your drive, hurt an offense. And so that's what they're trying to do offensively, eliminate those, and those are the, trying to, the things they're trying to create defensively. And so, um, look, this is, a, uh, this is a very good team. I would expect them to be in that conversation come January. When camp's all said and done, and Brian, will we finally get to the regular season, are there a couple of teams that you're anxious to see that you'd love to see right out of the gate? Well, I'm anxious to see Philadelphia in week, uh, year two under Chip Kelly. I'm really anxious to see that. Minus Deshaun Jackson, if they can overcome that, I think they will. Um, I'm anxious to see you know, what Green Bay does you know, with the fully healthy Aaron Rodgers and the additions that they've made, uh, Jul uh, Julius Peppers for one. Um, you know, and I'm anxious to see, uh, look, it's been the arms race between New England and Denver uh, throughout the offseason and how they've upgraded their teams. It would be great to see just how those additions fit in. Yep. Thanks for your time and always. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Still to come, John DeShazer and I will preview the rest of the day here at Camp for the Saints. But up next, we'll turn our attention to basketball where Daniel Salerson and Jim Eichenhofer talk about last week's Team USA camp and about the schedule for the NBA, which could come out any day now. 
Everything you need to know about your New Orleans Pelicans is right in the palm of your hands. The New Orleans Pelicans app is easy to use, plus makes an excellent companion whether you're watching the team in the Smoothie King Center or on the road. Recently added features on the app include the latest videos and highlights, plus access to a full list of arena amenities. Download the Pelicans app for free now on your iPhone or Android devices. For more information, check out pelicans.com today. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion. It's a tradition, and Zatarain's has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarain's has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. We're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarain's, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Studio B has seen a lot of coaches, players, and even celebrities roll by, but none of those compares to the guest I have right now. Joining me is Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer. He's here to talk a little USA basketball. And Jim, thanks for stopping by Studio B. Hey, thanks for having me. I don't know if there's any way I can live up to that uh, intro, but I'll do the best I can. Well, you spent most of the week in Vegas covering Anthony Davis, Monty Williams, and Team USA. Then you took a little vacation from right here, so I don't know whether to call you Carmen San Diego <laughs> or call you Jim. Nice to have you back in New Orleans. <laughs> hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, I was in um, Washington, D.C. for a trip I had planned a, a long time ago. I'm a huge Phillies fan, so I was there to watch them play against the Nationals for a couple games and uh, get to see their park, which is really nice. But uh, So, yeah, I've been between Las Vegas and that. I've barely been here lately I feel like it's just nice to be back here and be able to to uh kind of set set back up again in New Orleans do you even pay rent here in New Orleans anymore I'm not sure unfortunately yes I do <laughs> so I didn't get a very good deal last month with all the time I was I think I probably spent about um a total of 14 or 15 days in Las Vegas in July so my my landlord definitely got a good deal from me last month. Well, I heard some people voted for you for mayor of Las Vegas, put you in some of the votes, so uh, we might <laughs> see you back in Vegas sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I think I've, uh, I have a strong uh, platform, and I think I, c I can definitely uh, do some good work there in, for the city. All right, well, uh, let's talk about uh, Team USA. Unfortunately, the scrimmage ended on a negative note with the Paul George injury, but we'll get to that in a minute. But first, Anthony Davis, seven points, four rebounds, one block shot, about 15 minutes of play in the starting lineup uh, in the inter-squad matchup for Team USA. Let's talk about the leap for Anthony Davis. 2012, he comes in, wins a gold medal with Team USA, but barely makes the team in his first year in the NBA uh, when Blake Griffin got hurt. Now it seems like he could potentially be a starter for this Team USA team in the FIBA World Cup. Just talk about his his growth from two years ago to now, and uh, how much he's how much confidence he has now with Team USA. Yeah, absolutely. I remember in 2012, we thought he was going to be part of our summer league team that year, which would have been a huge uh, draw for for summer league, of course, as as the number one pick. But he got um, added to the USA team the last at the last minute, so um, he got to have that experience. But it seems like right now, not only do I think I think everyone expects him that not only is he going to start, but you actually could make the case that he, in some ways, is is might be the most important guy on the team, partly because the other big guys that they have, um, or that haven't even solidified their spot on the team, but could be on the team, is um, Demarcus Cousins and Andre Drummond. Both of those guys are not 
they have a lot more question marks than AD. So I think some of the stuff that AD does, they can't really duplicate with anyone else on the roster. The other thing is you got guys like Kyrie Irving and some of the other guards who are really valuable to the USA team, but there are other players that can kind of do some of the same things that they can do. So I think you could easily make the case that not only is his AD made a amazing jump from being basically the 12th man to a starter, but he might even be the most important guy on the on the roster this year. So for fans that uh, may have a chance to see him play on TV in the next month or so, what should they look out for in AD's game that they might maybe haven't seen him do, something he might as he has worked on in the summer? What should fans look out for in seeing AD's growth in the last couple of years? I think he's he's extended his shooting range that he he feels even more comfortable taking you know 20 footers and even maybe a step or two beyond that um i'm not sure if we'll we'll see that as much in usa basketball as we will during the nba season only because due to the way the roster probably is going to be comprised for usa he's probably going to be actually playing in the paint more than he would be he will be when he when the pelican season starts so I'm not sure if we're necessarily going to see that part of his game as much in exhibition, in exhibitions and the uh, World Cup games itself, because just because that's not what they're going to ask him to do. They have tons of other guys that have the guard skills and are going to, you know, play on the perimeter. Unfortunately, Paul George will not be there with Team USA after suffering that horrific leg injury on Friday night, and uh, I only saw it once in fast-paced motion, and I did not want to see it again. Um, Jim, your initial thoughts when you just saw the play? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen, worst injuries I've ever seen uh, in in a basketball game. I mean, it was just brutal. I, I, could, I watched it a second time, and then I was just like, just because the first time it seemed like it happened so fast that I didn't even have a clear, complete picture of what exactly happened. But um, after the second time, I was like, I, don't, I definitely don't want to watch that again. I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. But... Um, I know initially right after the game it seemed like people were reporting that the stanchion was way too close. But, About um, two th- feet closer. Yeah, but I thought I saw a report yesterday that it actually wasn't the, – the differential between what it is in Las Vegas and what it is normally for the NBA wasn't that drastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you, of course you want to do everything you possibly can to prevent something like that happening, but I'm not sure if it is completely – preventable i mean it'd be if it was if it was the stanchion was like right underneath the or right by the baseline and that happened i could see how you could say well you know that was the reason for it but i don't know if you necessarily can say that that was the reason for it based on um what i heard yesterday about that it wasn't as big of a of a differential as people initially thought talking to pelicans.com writer jim eichenhofer and the pacers came out and said they you know they still support team usa all this but he's he's most likely going to miss the 2014-15 season for the pacers so that brings up the question of does the the nba and the players change how they look at international play going forward does adam silver comes trying to make some new rule changes whether superstars play who plays who represents team usa is this discussion going to be brought up now based on the paul george injury I mean, I think it's such a touchy subject because this is a whole other discussion, but to me the one thing I think about sometimes is how much of a priority is it for us to always win the Olympics and win the world championships? I don't think there's a, really a definitive answer to that, but I wonder sometimes because I hear people say like, you know, oh, we should put the college players back in. And 
as a representing the USA team. And I'm like, that's fine, but you're going to have to accept that we're going to lose, per, you know, maybe maybe not every time, but we're going to frequently lose to some of these other teams. So um, I'm not really sure what the answer is. I've heard Mark Cuban make the argument that it's too much of a risk for NBA teams without really any actual positives that come out of it. I mean, you could you, could, you definitely could argue that that's – that's not necessarily true either, that the players do get a ton out of competing on that level and competing against that kind of competition that they wouldn't otherwise see in the summer. But um, it, it's just a it's, – it's I can see, but at the same time I can see Mark Cuban's argument. And if I was an owner of a team, I think my perspective would be a ton different than what it is as just a, a guy who watches the games and, and follows it that way. Well, I think now most people are going to watch it seeing like Pelicans fans will watch Anthony Davis and go – do well but please don't get hurt at the same time is this something that maybe college players can play in the these world cup things and maybe superstars can just play in the olympics because it seems like the olympics are a pretty special thing you want to win the gold medal the dream team 92 um could that maybe be an option something where college players i mean amateur players play in these FIBA world cups and then in every four years you get your superstars out there to represent team usa in the olympics I mean, I think that's not a bad idea. The only the only issue with that, just based on the way that USA Basketball has run its program the last few years and the last few competitions, is they want to have some continuity as far as um, they want to have similar groups of players there each summer. I mean, obviously things are going to change but I, from year to year, but I think <clears throat> that's also why they try to invite 25, 30 guys sometimes to these training camps right. instead of having it be – the 13 or 14 guys they want just because things change so much guys drop out because of injuries guys drop out because of they might get traded like Kevin Love so but I mean I don't think that's a bad idea I would I would definitely I wouldn't have a problem with that at all of of kind of alternating so that you don't have NBA players you don't have the same NBA player playing say like four or five summers in a row like there may have been in the recent right. past We're talking to Jim Eikenhofer pelicans.com writer and then hopefully We'll be talking about a schedule coming out. It seems like we haven't heard um, anything about when the schedule might be released. Have you heard anything or had an inkling of when the schedule could be released? I haven't heard anything official or anything that you could even describe as as confirm confirmation. But um, I've heard a few people report or say that they expect it pretty soon. Whether that means this week or the beginning of next week, you got to figure it's going to be out in the next you know seven or ten days. I can't imagine them pushing it much further you're starting to get closer to September and um, training camp isn't really that far away when you start going later into this month so that would be my guess is it would be no later than the beginning of next week all right so let's play a little game I know you just said you have no confirmation you have no idea when the schedule comes out or what the Pelicans might be doing so I just want your prediction on opening night I don't care about the night the day home or away sure who do you think the Pelicans first opponent will be for the 2014-15 season? I've heard a couple different theories, and I, I kind of like the one that, I mean, who knows if this is, this is if there's a, a ton of validity to this, but the theory that the NBA would put the Pelicans against the Charlotte Hornets on opening night just because of the obvious tie-in and the, it'd be, mm -hmm. be kind of cool in a way for the very first game to kind of set it up that these are two distinct um identities and that they both have new you know branding and a little new bit of everything. closure right yeah <laughs> exactly so that would be my first guest guess I think it's funny you would expect I, I was thinking back over the few years that the years that I've been with a team 
you would expect that there would have been some times based on geography where New Orleans would have opened up the season against one of the teams that's close, like, um, you know, Dallas or Houston or San Antonio. But I can't remember that ever happening. It seems like it's always kind of a, a team that you wouldn't really predict based on, you know, proximity and stuff like that. So I'd, my first guess would be Hornets. My second guess would be maybe Orlando or somebody like or the Atlanta, someone that's in the east but that's, you know, somewhat regional. I guess last year it was Indiana Pacers, and I believe when I'm saying two or three years ago it was the Spurs for one of them, yeah. like you said. Yeah. So maybe either a divisional opponent or, like you said, a random East team. So last year it was the Pacers, and then the Pelicans traveled right to Orlando and started a back-to-back there. That's true. I actually did. I forgot that. I forgot two years ago they played against the Spurs, but I remember there was an opener against I think Boston. There was one against um, some of the. Uh, I'm trying to remember now, like. Like you said, the Pacers, and uh, Sacramento. That was mm-hmm. the one, and I, and it just it just from a from a fan standpoint, it just seems like there's been some odd ones yep. in there in the mix. Well, we'll see what happens. So, Jim, I think's going with the Charlotte Hornets as a pure guess. Again, this is nothing. We have no knowledge of what's going on, so we figure we'd play the game. Uh, so, Jim's going with maybe opening up against the Charlotte Hornets. That should be interesting to say the least as they open with the teal and the purple. It's all back there. In Charlotte. Jim Eichenhofer is back in New Orleans. Jim, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me, as always. When we come back, Sean and John will wrap things up. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Smoothie King asks, what's your purpose? My name is Trish, and I want more balance in my life. I feel like all I do is rush from one place to the next and end up grabbing a burger along the way. And then I feel guilty, and I start thinking, I need to spend an hour on the elliptical, but I don't have time. I want to eat better. I want to feel better. That's my purpose. We can blend that. Find your balance with the new Greek yogurt smoothies naturally powered by Chobani. Find pleasure in your purpose at Smoothie King. There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today. Well, usually on the Black and Blue Report, we're, we've been giving you a, a practice report on the Black and Blue Report here during training camp. But uh, oddly enough, you're getting this as the Saints probably are taking the field for the first time on this Monday. Uh, John, you had mentioned that the red zone install continues today. It's our uh, belief that full pads will be back in effect today for about a two-hour workout. Yeah, exactly. Um, But again, I don't know that they're going to do a whole lot of contact. I think they really need to probably dial back from the intensity intensity level that ramped up last week, probably dial back because there's a game this week and you don't want to risk anything. But on the other hand, these guys are pretty intense. I thought um, the defense earlier last week in the past took it to the offense. And I thought on Saturday during the black and gold scrimmage, the offense was like, okay, we're here to stay. And they took it back at the defense. And in fact, the defensive guys had to admit, look, we didn't have the best of days. We had a pretty good day, but not the best day. The offense probably had it tilted in their favor a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. Did you watch the Hall of Fame game last night? Uh, Spots, it's just hard for me to watch. I'm sorry. It's hard for me to get into it because you know the starters 
only going to play like a split second. I did see Eli, you know, scramble around and fumble, unfortunately. But uh, for the most part, I, I, it's just hard to watch, especially when we're watching teams that we're not familiar with. It's easier to watch the Saints because we know these guys. We know their names. We know the jobs they're fighting for and the positions they're fighting for, whereas I'm watching the Giants, and I can't even remember who they play, but I don't know anybody, <laughs> and I don't know the positions they're fighting for, so it's hard to stay interested. Uh, they beat the Bills, by the way, yes. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I did enjoy last night, and I don't know any of these guys personally, but uh, all the interviews of the Hall of Fame inductees from over the weekend, they seem to be a classy bunch of guys. And again, I don't want to read too much into what you see in a, in a weekend's worth of festivities and interviews, but uh, that was enjoyable last night. And it was fun to watch football again. All right, Saints on the practice field, four till about six-ish Eastern time today. We'll have a plenty, a plenty for you, including an afternoon wrap, or in this case an evening wrap on NewOrleansSaints.com. And then back to it tomorrow with the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. John DeShazer, Sean Kelly here in West Virginia. Special thanks again to Gene Steratore, Brian Baldinger, Daniel Sallerson, and Jim Eichenhofer today. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you right back here from camp tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report. <laughs>